0: New York, the makers of clipper craft clothes for men, and 1036 leading retail stores from coast to coast, present the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Our stories are based upon the character of Sherlock Holmes, created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sherlock Holmes is portrayed by John Stanley, Dr. Watson by Alfred Shirley, and the dramatizations are by Edith Meiser. Well, here we are once again, settled comfortably in front of Dr. Watson's cheerful fireplace. Outside, the winter wind wails like, like... Well, let's see. What does the wind sound like tonight, Dr. Watson? A lost soul or a baffled banshee? What would you say? To me, Mr. Harris,
1: that wind sounds rather like bass the ancient Egyptian cat goddess, sometimes called Eubastis. She howls, they say, if anyone disturbs the graves of those who have consecrated themselves to her.
0: Oh, come now, Dr. Watson, you don't believe that sort of nonsense,
1: well, do you? Well, I'm not so sure, Mr. Harris, I'm not so sure. One violent autumn night, as Holmes and I crossed the windswept moors that surround King's Island, we heard such a cry, a strange, harsh udulation that struck a chill to our marrow bones... And. Oh, but good heavens. There I go again, forgetting my manners. After all, you have something rather important to say, I believe, Mr. Harris.
0: Well, I generally have, Dr. Watson. And speaking of wind and chill, there's nothing like a clipper craft overcoat to keep him out, you know.
1: Right. Pitty <laughs> Holmes and I weren't wearing a clipper craft that night on Dartmoor Heath.
0: Now, Dr. Watson, this is my part of the entertainment. Oh, sorry, old man. Proceed. Thank you. There are now 1,036 fine stores across the nation that sell Clippercraft clothes. That's a tribute to the efficiency of the Clippercraft plan, and that's a tribute also to the tremendous demand that an alert American public has built for Clippercraft. In the Clippercraft plan, you see, these 1,036 stores concentrate their buying power, affecting tremendous savings the year round in manufacturing and distribution costs. These savings are all yours. And it's a mighty nice thing to be able to outfit yourself with value so exceptional at your own local independent store where you get real service and friendly personal attention. Clippercraft suits are only $40 and $45, Clippercraft top coats and overcoats only $40, and sport jackets only $26.50. Seeing is believing. To convince yourself beyond the shadow of a doubt, simply compare Clippercraft with clothes selling for many dollars more. And now to return to that icy wind on the moors, Dr. Watson.
1: Well, as a matter of fact, Mr. Harris, that's not where this adventure had its inception. It was a brisk, all-day, rather early in the century. After a good deal of argument, I had persuaded Holmes to accompany me on a constitutional through Kensington Gardens. As our listeners doubtless know, Holmes was never a man who took exercise if he could avoid
0: it. Lethargic <laughs> sort of fellow, eh, Dr. Watson?
1: Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Needless to say, when we returned to Baker Street somewhere around 5, I was the one who was puffing like a grampus, while Holmes bounded up the steps as easily as a greyhound. We were met at the front door by Mrs. Hudson, the chatelaine and general factotum of our bachelor domain.
2: Ah, Mrs. Hudson, what's up?
3: It's way past your tea time, Mr. Holmes.
2: Oh, to Blazes with tea, madam. Give us an early supper.
3: What's more, a gentleman was here. Waited upstairs half an hour, he did. Stamping up and down on my ceiling till I thought the chandelier would come loose.
1: Hmm. Sounds like a client, eh, Watson? Well, we could do with a case, Holmes. The exchequer is getting a bit low. Bother the exchequer. Oh, for heaven's sake, Holmes. Relax. We're home, you know.
3: He said he'd be back. If it's a case, see that he pays. Looks like he had money.
1: Yes, yes,
2: Mrs. Hudson's correct. Our late visitor undoubtedly had money.
1: But he got away. But uh, what makes you think the blighter was affluent?
2: Can't you smell it? He smoked the very best tobacco. Uh-huh. The matter he came to consult us about must have been urgent. He's left his pipe here on the table. A nice briar with a longish stem of what the tobacconists fondly call Amber. Yes, he must have been thoroughly disturbed to leave behind a pipe he values so highly. Oh, Dash, how can you possibly know how he values his silly pipe? Elementary, my dear Watson, elementary. The pipe has been twice mended, once in the wooden stem and once in the amber, each time with a silver band costing more than the pipe did originally. What's more, he's been here before because, having run out of his own mixture, he's helped himself to a pipeful from the Persian slipper on the mantelpiece. No casual stranger would know that's where I keep my tobacco. Oh, but here's his step on the stairs. Come in, come in.
4: Confound it, man. Why don't you stay at home where you belong?
2: Holmes, it's Colonel Ross. (laughs) Obviously, my dear Watson. Oh, uh, bring our visitor a chair and a a slight sedative of some sort. Say, a brandy and soda.
4: I don't need a brandy. Yes, I do confound it, a double brandy.
2: Well, don't tell me you've had another disaster on the moors at King's Pylon.
4: We have that, Mr. Holmes, but this time it's not a man that's been murdered. It's a horse. Worse, much worse. Uh, Let me tell you there aren't many men equal of Blazing Star.
1: Good Lord, Blazing Star... Isn't that your entry for the Wessex Cup, sir?
2: It was, Dr. Watson, it was. Aha, uh-huh. Blazing Star. Watson was reading me an item about it just the other day. I believe he's the son of the famous silver blaze out of Lady Luck. Uh, you were able to rescue his sire
1: for me, Mr. Holmes? In time to win the Wessex Cup. What a race that was, eh, Holmes? Uh, but it's too
4: late to do anything for poor Blazing Star. But by the Lord, Harry, I mean to catch up with the scoundrel of the killed And when I do, I've I... have
1: always contended there's a special reservation in the lowest hell for any man who mistreats animals. Yes,
2: quite. But tell me exactly what happened at King's Piran, Colonel Ross.
4: Uh, You remember Ned Hunter, Mr. Holmes? He was in charge of the stable at the time Silver Blaze was abducted. Yes, fine
2: fellow, reliable and trustworthy. He's
4: been promoted to the post of trainer since you last saw him, but he still sleeps in the stable, doesn't trust anyone else to do it. Blazing
2: Star, like his sire before him, was the favourite for the Wessex
4: Cup, I believe. Uh, That's right, Mr. Holmes. So Ned was being extra particular. None of the stable boys were allowed to go near the horse. Ned groomed and exercised him himself. No one else laid a hand on the animal.
1: Can't take too many precautions with a winner, eh, Holmes? Don't interrupt, Watson. Well, uh,
4: yesterday afternoon, I went down to the stables myself to watch Blazing Star work out. <laughs> I wish you could have seen him. The sunshine glinting on his chestnut coat like a fiery streak he was coming down the stretch. Never went better in his life. Well, I went into supper and uh, cleared a place off the mantel. the same place we kept the Wessex Cup when Silver Blaze won it. Then I went to bed and slept the sleep of the just... But along about two o'clock in the morning, I was awakened by Ned Hunter. As I lit the lamp, I could see his face white as a sheet, and his hand shook as though he had the palsy. Ned! Ned, what's up? What's the matter, man? It's the staff, sir. He's took bad. I'd better go for the vet. Good Lord. What happened? He seemed in great shape this afternoon. I can't explain it, sir. Unless it was that cat upset him. You know how he always hated cats. A what cat? We don't keep any cats. A black cat it was, sir. Can't say I've ever seen it before. But when I was taking in his bunch of carrots I always gives him before I tucks him in for the night, a black cat comes out of nowhere and slips into the store between my legs. Good Lord. Well, sir, you know how the star is about cats. He started stamping and winning like he was possessed. Hey, you, Timmy, Joe... Help me get this cat out of here before she's killed. Oh, easy, star. Easy, boy. Easy, boy, now. Easy, star. Did you see that cat? Come out of here like a bat out of hell. Always blazing like the devil himself. Uh, Hello, hello. She's waked the star on the flank. She's drawn blood. Easy, boy. Easy. Hey, Timmy, bring the ointment. The star's hurt. Mr. Holmes, Ned Hunter, swabbed down the scratch and tried to quiet the horse, but Star was restless. Long about midnight, Ned noticed his breathing was getting heavy and labored, and he'd worked up quite a sweat. Ned rubbed him down again, but he kept getting worse instead of better, so I went for the vet. He's a new man in the district and supposed to know all there is to know about animals. When I brought him back with me, Ned looked like he'd seen a ghost. This is Mr. Peebles, the new veterinary surgeon. He'll bring Star around for us. I'm afraid Star's past help, sir. I've never seen the like. just seemed to collapse in front of me eyes. His back sort of sagged and his knees gave way. Pretty soon, he he couldn't stand up no more. He's he's lying in there on the straw, pretty near gone. You'd, uh, You'd better take Mr. Peebles right in, Ned. Yes, sir. This way, sir. Confound it. If anything happens to that horse, he was so fit this afternoon. Lord, it's quiet around here. If I could just hear the old boy breathing. Three o'clock. Where do you suppose that blasted cat came from? Ah, rubbish. No one dies from a cat scratch. I haven't had any cats around here for years. Certainly not any black cats. Well... Mr. Peebles, how is he? What's the verdict?
5: I'm sorry, Colonel Ross. He's gone, sir. Died very quietly. Of old age.
2: You say the vet pronounced
1: Blazing Star dead of old age, Colonel Ross? But that's impossible, Holmes. The Wessex Cup is a race for five-year-olds. Exactly.
4: Blazing Star was five-year-old last month. Yet when I went in to look at his body as it lay there in his stall, I'd have sworn he was the oldest horse I'd ever seen. Temples caved in, coat dry and
2: grayish, hip bones protruding. You don't think anyone could have switched horses while Ned Hunter came to inform you the horse was taken sick? No, Mr. Holmes, I had no blazing star anywhere.
4: The star on the forehead he'd inherited it from his father. The white off forefoot and a long scar in his left hind leg where he'd cut himself on a bit of wire when he was a two-year-old. That horse was star... Full five years ago last month. He couldn't have died of old age.
1: Fantastic and macabre story, eh, Holmes? Mm, Quite.
2: Many people, of course, will profit by his death. Have there been any strangers in the neighborhood of King's Pilum these
4: last few weeks, Colonel Ross? Well, there has been a band of wandering gypsies camping on the
1: moors. Of course. Gypsies have many curious and little-known poisons. They'd be quite apt to keep a black cat, what's more... If its claws had been dipped in some obscure venom... Possibly,
2: Watson, possibly. Tell me, Colonel Ross, what's become of your erstwhile neighbour and rival, Lord Backwater, who owned the Mapleton stables?
4: That blackguard! Haven't seen him since the affair of Silver Blaze. He was ruled off the turf after that, you know, and forced to sell his horses. Serves him jolly well right. Mapleton has been unoccupied until recently. About a month ago, I understand, it was leased to a professor, an Egyptologist, I believe. He's a recluse. Spends most of his time in a laboratory. fixed up for himself in the old study. Matty Baxter, our maid's sister, keeps house for him. Says he's a, a queer sort of a chap. Works behind locked doors all
1: night and sleeps all day. Unhealthy sort of life, eh, Holmes?
2: Yes, there are several factors around King's Pyram that don't sound healthy to me. Colonel Ross, I suggest that Watson and I take the morning train for Exeter to investigate the situation.
4: I hoped you'd say that, Mr. Holmes. I've told Ned not to dispose of Star's body until you arrive. Splendid.
1: I, uh... I suppose you want me to take my revolver, eh, Holmes?
2: Your revolver and that little black satchel that contained your medical kit. This, unless I'm very much mistaken, is a case in which we should be prepared for anything. Well, Watson, now that you've finished a thorough examination of the cadaver, what's your verdict? The bet was right, Holmes.
4: The horse obviously died of old age. But I tell you, that's impossible! Blazing Star was only a little over five years old. Ned here will bear me out. That's right, gentlemen. Horse doesn't die of old age at five years. Well, looks like Blazing Star ain't going to be the only one, neither. Good Lord. Don't tell me another one of the horses has caught the malady. It's not one of the horses, sir. It's the sheep. Huh? I noticed it when I went out to the paddock after you left this morning. They stood there all huddled together, shivering Then gradually, all day long, they kept getting older and older. You could fair see them do it. Their eyes are roomy. And their voice is weak. And, oh, some of them can hardly keep on their feet. But those sheep were young. Most of them were dropped in this year's lambing season. Uh, What do you make of it, Dr. Watson? Have you ever heard of old age being contagious?
1: Well, there have been isolated cases, Colonel Ross, where young and healthy individuals have developed a wasting way that rather resembled the appearance of age. However, I'd hardly think it possible... Hold on. Who's this running across the moors in the sunset? Looks like a woman... Her hair flying loose, her shawl flapping in the wind. And she's staggering as if she were drunk. It's Matty, Colonel Ross, her that works over at Mapleton. She's not
2: suffering from the effects of alcohol. It's fright that's upset her. It's sheer terror.
3: Colonel Ross, Colonel Ross, will you take me in this night? I'm never going back. I'm never going back to that house again. I knew he was evil the minute I laid eyes on the man. And now I've seen him. He's a butcher, he is. He's a ghoul. Who
4: is Matty? My
3: master. Him is at least Mapleton. He's filled the house full of heathen statues. The lower part man and the upper part beast.
2: Those would be the statues of the ancient Egyptian gods. Ra, the hawk, Anubis, the dog, and Bas, the cat, I fancy.
3: Bas, that's what he calls her. The black cat that rides everywhere with him on his shoulder. Their eyes are alike. Him and the cat, both green. And they both can look at you without even blinking. Only his head moves from side to side while he stares at you. What's that? I said his head. It don't never hold still. He's a ghoul, that's what he is. They've been bringing him boxes for weeks now. Six boxes, big, like coffins. A lorry drives up in the dead of night and they carry the box into his study. And he locks the door behind it. That's the last anyone ever seen of them boxes or what's in them.
2: You've never seen any traces when you go in to clean the study?
3: I've never been allowed in. No one's ever been allowed in that study except the man that brings the boxes. And then only for a minute while he puts them down. Today, the men come with another big box. Only they brought it before it was dark. The master fell in a rage when he saw him drive up. When they brought the box in and set it down in the study, he was that worked up, there were flecks of foam on his lips.
4: How often have I told you not to come here by daylight? Have a heart, Governor. The sun's about down and there's a storm are coming up. Me and me partner have a long way to drive back to town. We don't like to be caught in the moors in a storm at night. Oh, you don't?
5: Well, this is the last time you need come here. People who work for me obey my orders. Aye,
4: but, Governor... get your pay. Now, get out. We'll be going. Never fear. Here. He needn't have done that.
3: Oh, he's a terror when he gets in one of his rages. Oh,
4: there. You work here?
3: Aye, I'm the housemaid. I
4: know what it is. He's got in them boxes we bring him.
3: Haven't a notion. That room's always kept locked.
4: He never so much as looked through keyhole.
3: Oh, I'd never do that. It's not right.
4: Maybe not, but I bet he'd be interesting. Aye. Come along there, Chris, or we'll be caught on the moors out of dark. Aye.
1: He's lit the
3: lamp shows through the keyhole. He's taken the lid off the box. I can hear the nails squeak. I would sort of like to know what's in it. One peek wouldn't hurt, I guess. Hello. There's another box inside of the first one. It's got a painted face and hands. Now he's taken that lid off, too. There's something lying inside. It's got a face, too. And hands. (coughs) It's a woman. She's dead. It's a woman's body.
0: Great Scott.
4: A woman's body? Then the man is a ghoul, a body snatcher, or worse.
2: Unless I'm very much mistaken, he's much worse, Colonel Ross. As for the body, I imagine it's been dead a long, long time. Yes, I think Watson and I will take a stroll over to Mapleton later this evening. I'd like to take a look at the contents of that box myself.
1: What a night to go stalking about the Moors, Holmes. I'm soaked to the skin.
2: Yes, the equinoctial rains seem to be especially vigorous this year, Watson. Mm, vigorous? I can hardly say... Good Lord, what was that? That, I imagine, is a member of the feline or cat family. Sounds half wild, eh, Holmes? Yes, unusual for a cat to be out in this weather. Seems to be getting closer. Angle the lantern over here. Yes, there it is, in that tree to the left. Good
1: Lord, its eyes shine like fire. Maybe she's caught up there and can't get down. Here, Pussy. Nice kitty. Watson, for the love of heaven, don't get near that cat. Why not?
5: Because one scratch from her claws and you would decline and die of old age.
1: You? Professor
5: Moriarty? <laughs> <laughs> you look surprised to see me, Dr. Watson. I heard you were expected at King's Pile Holmes. And when that stupid serving girl ran screaming out of my house this evening, I rather expected it wouldn't be long before you came over to Mapleton to... Pay your respects to the Princess Hatshepnut. Princess
2: Hatshepnut? So that's who you have in your latest mummy case, Moriarty? Yes,
5: in the most perfect state of preservation. But of absolutely no use to me, unfortunately. Why not? She was still slender when she died. The artisans who unbound her didn't need to age the body to prepare it for burial. Age the body? Have you ever seen a fat mummy, Dr. Watson?
1: Come to think of it, can't say I have.
5: In ancient Egypt, it took upward of 70 days to prepare the body of a mummy. Rare gums, resins and spices were used. And if the deceased was fat, a fluid was injected which aged and shriveled the body after death. And it's your theory, no doubt,
2: Moriarty, that that same
5: fluid extracted from those
2: mummies would, if injected into human beings, produce premature old age and death.
5: Uh, So far, Mr. Holmes, I have only experimented with animals. But I believe the process has been sufficiently perfected so that I may now indulge in a few human experiments. How fortunate that you and Dr. Watson should have decided to drop in this evening.
1: Holmes, let's get out of here.
5: (laughs) Not so fast, Dr. Watson. My servant Akbar has had you covered for some time. He's an expert shot, I promise you. Bluff. Pure bluff. Can't see a soul. Akbar is rather dark. He doesn't show up very well at night. But to prove to you he is present, I shall have him destroy the cat up there. No, no, don't bother. But it's no trouble at all. We came out here for that purpose. Unfortunately, yesterday I spilled some of the liquid I'm experimenting with. And the cat walked in it. It's no longer safe to have it at large. You saw the results when she scratched Colonel Ross's horse last night. You see, I don't want to kill people. I shall be satisfied just to make them senile.
3: Why, you blackguard.
5: <laughs> Don't excite yourself, Dr. Watson. Akbar, the cat. <laughs> Such a pity. I was rather fond of the beast. Now, gentlemen, if you will accompany me...
0: When you're in your favorite clothing store these winter days and hear someone say, "How do they do it?" He's probably trying on a Clippercraft suit or overcoat. Because in this era of higher prices, it's really startling to see so much truly fine quality in clothes for such a modest amount. For Clippercraft suits are only $40 and $45. Clippercraft top coats are only $40 and sport jackets are only 26.50. The fabrics are really long wearing, style and fit is superb, because Clippercraft clothes are expertly designed. Now you may ask how all this is possible. Well, the answer is real manufacturing genius and a plan. The famous Clippercraft plan concentrates the buying power of 1,036 of the nation's finest stores from coast to coast. Thus, you get the amazing advantages of the group buying at your own local independent store. At the store you can trust. Selling expensive clothes at inexpensive low prices at the nation's finest independent stores is the great big idea behind the Clippercraft plan. That's why men who know insist on Clippercraft clothes. So be sure to visit the Clippercraft store in your city. These leading stores in the metropolitan area are proud to add their names to
5: Clippercraft in your suit, top coat, and overcoat. In Manhattan, Saks 34th, Broadway at 34th. John Wanamaker Men's Stores, Broadway at 8th and 67 Liberty Street. In Brooklyn, Abraham and Strauss. In Newark, New Jersey, Boulevard Men's Shop, Kresge, Newark. And in Jamaica, the B&B Clothes Shop, 16408 Jamaica Avenue.
0: And now to return to Dr. Watson and Sherlock Holmes. We find them in Moriarty's Laboratory.
5: Sorry, I'm forced to have Akbar tie your hands to the back of your chairs, gentlemen. Akbar, if you will remove Dr. Watson's revolver from his right hand pocket, that's it. No, no, no. You needn't take his satchel off his knees. I know how lost a doctor feels without his little black bag. Very generous of you, Mariarty. Not at all. That will be all, Akbar. You may leave the room and lock the door. And now for the Lady Hatshepnot. She's in the mummy case here. I thought you might enjoy the sight of a charming female while I give you the injection that will uh, deprive you of your youth and vigor. Now, look here, you... No Don't Watson.
2: Is that by any chance, Professor Moriarty, the mummy case in which the Princess Hatshepnot was entombed?
5: I believe so. She was removed from the tombs of the royal mummies at Dar el-Bahari.
2: By those famous grave robbers, the brothers Abdel Rasool whose exploits finally led the British archaeologist
5: to the left bank of the Nile opposite Karnak. But how clever of you, Mr. Holmes, to be so well-informed on Egyptian mummies.
1: Holmes knows everything. Or didn't you know? Uh,
2: Watson, on the other hand, while no mental mastodon, has hidden possibilities. Uh, Did you know, Professor, he once played rugby for Blackheath?
5: Fascinating.
2: I, um... I gather from the fact that the mummy case has the hands carved in relief that it dates from
5: the 7th Theban dynasty. You are absolutely correct, Mr. Holmes. Wait. I will raise the lid and permit you to see the lady herself.
1: Good Lord. She looks as if she had died yesterday.
5: Yes, Dr. Watson. The mummies of Memphis are black, dry and brittle. But those of Thebes are yellowish, flexible and so elastic that the flesh yields to the touch, and the limbs may be moved, so without breaking.
2: Yes, it's remarkable. I should have liked to be present when they discovered the tomb at Dar el-Bahari. Imagine, Watson, there were 36 mummies, uh, 20 of them kings
5: and queens. Suppose we dispense with any further lectures on antiquity, Mr. Holmes. I think the substance I have here in this little glass file may prove even more fascinating. How? This is the liquid I've distilled from five previous mummies. The ones who have been, uh, shall we say, aged. One small scratch with a pin dipped in this fluid should, if my calculations are correct, turn you both into old men. What would be the uh, object of that, may I ask? In the first place, it would render you no longer able to interrupt my activities. And in the second place, if my experiment is successful... I flatter myself I can change the course of history. Interesting. Think what would happen if I were to make certain men senile. The Kaiser, for instance, and that new American president, uh, Roosevelt, Mr. Theodore Roosevelt. And there's a man over in France, Monsieur Clemenceau, and a young man right here in England, his name is Winston Churchill. I think history might be quite different if he suddenly became old and feeble-minded. Let me see... My tie pin should do very nicely. Yes, a very interesting
2: hypothesis, Professor Moriarty, but um, that file is so small. I.
5: Is that all the fluid you have? It will suffice, Mr. Holmes. I shall prick only the key, man. Now then, I'll dip in the pin. So. And. Holmes, duck! Confound you! You've broken
2: the file! <laughs> Bravo, Watson. A perfectly placed dropkick. I wondered if it would occur to you to use your little black bag for a football.
0: That was a narrow squeak, Dr. Watson.
1: It was indeed, Mr. Harris.
0: But even then, you were still tied to those chairs. Just how did you and Sherlock Holmes get away from the professor,
1: Doctor? Oh, at that point, Mr. Harris, Colonel Ross and uh, Ned Hunter broke in and rescued us. We'd left them on the moors with instructions to come in and get us if we didn't return in half an hour. Why did you think Holmes became so chatty about Egyptian history?
0: You don't mean he was
1: stalling. Well, what do you think, Mr. Harris? What do you think? Well, what could I
0: think, Doctor? And now, Dr. Watson, how about giving us a hint about next week's story?
1: Hmm. Yes, next week I think I shall tell the case of the Lucky Shilling. In it, Holmes prevented the death of a certain reckless young nobleman and acquired the money to pay for a much-needed operation. It was done with the not-too-honest racetrack device, which Holmes called the trick of the Lucky Shilling.
0: of Clippercraft clothes and 1036 leading stores from coast to coast have brought you another in the new series of broadcasts featuring the world's most famous detective Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is produced and directed by Basil Lochran with special music by Albert Berman. If you don't know your Clippercraft dealer, Right, Clippercraft, two hundred Fifth Avenue, New York City. Be sure to listen next week to Sherlock Holmes in the Case of the Lucky Shilling. If you'd like to attend the Sherlock Holmes broadcasts in New York, see your local Clippercraft dealer. He'll tell you how to obtain your tickets.